So to be honest with you, I don't build my own websites. I have my team build them, but we also have clients that need their websites just as fast, if not faster, right? It's more a matter of creating a balance of priorities that make sure that the service that we're providing our current clients does not waver, period. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Did you know that I love helping entrepreneurs like you scale and grow your business efficiently to enable revenue and profits to grow faster so you can enjoy the fruits of your labor more fully? I use real-world experience of owning and running a profitable multi-million dollar company that has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three years in a row. That coupled with studies at Babson College, the Entrepreneurial Master's Program at MIT and Harvard gives me the unique ability to help entrepreneurs see your blind spots and move over the road bumps faster. I help entrepreneurs like you break through your plateau and reach higher levels of achievement. For more information, go to my website, natashamiller.co. On this week's episode, we talked to Michael Buzz Bazinski of Buzzworthy Integrated Marketing about his new book, his growth plan for his digital marketing business, and whether he has an exit plan or not. Now let's get right into it. Oh man, my journey to entrepreneurship started way back when my grandfather gave an opportunity to pick up walnuts on my parents' small farm in Chico, California. And he gave me a dollar twenty-five per gunny sack for the bags of walnuts. And it was pretty interesting because I knew then enough to pick up the walnuts when they still had a very fresh husk to them. So they took up more room in the bag. But my grandfather's much smarter than me and wouldn't pick them up right away. So then as they dried up, they would shrink. And so I'd have to refill them. So I understood a lot about how gaming systems in business and stuff like that go really early on. So that was the beginning of me understanding what money was worth and that you can use your talents, no matter what they are, to garner money. So I raised about $40 my first season, and that was just enough to buy Christmas presents for my two parents and my sister that year. And, and so did that plant the seed for you to be an entrepreneur for life? Or I think did you so. think there was that you'd work a full-time job or have a different path at some point in your life? It's crazy. I had very institutional father. My mother is the entrepreneur in my immediate family, but I come from a line of entrepreneurs on my father's side. But my dad went to business school. He got his BA in business. He got his his MBA. He ended up getting a PhD. So he was definitely an institutionalized thinker, great leader, but a manager. And that was his life. And so I, following his footsteps, yeah, I actually thought that that was kind of the way that you had to go. You had to do well in school, all those good things. But by the time I was in junior high school, I had different dreams. I had a dream of being a rock star, which is a different type of entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur nonetheless, because you're selling your goods, right? And then when I started working on my own photography company, which is right around when I was 16, 17 years old, even though I was always keeping a full-time job to pay the rent, 
was always had this side hustle. None of my friends ever did except for me. And I had that all the way through the Air Force. I had a side hustle. I was still trying to be a musician. And then when I got out of the service is when I decided to go full-fledged into entrepreneurialism and went from Air Force to a uh, recording studio owner. Actually, it was my first rendition of my business. And then over the years, it's blossomed into what it is. So I think it's just like something that was in the back of my mind that was always there, but I didn't recognize it because I was taught that that wasn't an option. Like we didn't come from money. So therefore you don't start a business. Even though my grandfather owned multiple businesses, restaurants, delicatessens, and did uh, he start stores. them though, or did he acquire them? He started all of his. Yeah. Then he really is a true entrepreneur. Yes. I wonder what it would have been like for us growing up if entrepreneurship was as touted as it is now. There'd be much more of us probably. I think that the greatest generation was a generation that was touted as you either work for the man or you start or you plant your own post, right? You hang your own shingle. That's your two options. And because college wasn't as prevalent, if you didn't want to work in the factories, you had to go get your own gig. If it's shining shoes, making pizzas, whatever it was, do it, right? And so many of the immigrants are entrepreneurs in that even today through the generations. But most of my immigrant friends, first generation immigrant friends, all of their parents were entrepreneurs. Very few of them were like, oh, we're going to go to college and we're just going to work for the man and do their yep. thing. So we're going to go right into your business. Can you talk to me and the listeners about the rule of 26? The rule of 26 was an invention of necessity. Digital marketing is a very complex or can be a very complex topic especially for entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs do not go into business to become marketers. They're usually starting their business through a passion, very rarely marketing. I do run into them every once in a while. I just had a urologist actually came to me. I felt like they were more interested in the marketing of his practice than he was actually practicing urology. So it was an interesting concept there. But with that, over the years, I just found that entrepreneurs don't care about the inner workings of digital marketing, but they have to understand what's going on and what we're shooting for in order to get on board. I was literally just in a meeting before this and we were talking about search engine optimization. He just couldn't connect the dots on SEO for what it would do for him. So we went in another direction where he did see that value, but the rule of 26 is meant to really reduce the things that you have to worry about when marketing a website for a service-based business. So it boils it down to three metrics. We look at traffic, conversion rates, and then the last thing is our average revenue per client. And we look to increase each of those by 26% to generate 100% more revenue coming from a client's website. Once they understand that, I can call all day long as far as marketing things go. They know that they have to look at that metric to see if I'm doing my job right. Because at the end of the day, we're looking to increase revenue. So if I can increase your revenue as a marketer, I've done my job. So I created the rule of 26 to simplify what we can focus on, move that needle that actually makes them more money faster and easier. So when you were talking about the three buckets, traffic and conversion being two of them, it reminded me that this summer or last summer, I attended traffic and 
conversion summit, TNC. Right. I'm not a digital marketer. I'm not going to be a digital marketer, but guess what? I know exactly what you do. Mm-hmm. And having that knowledge, basic knowledge, is really important, I think, for entrepreneurs to then go and source and qualify the right company. Now, you don't have to go to TNC. That's a little bit above, <laughs> above the necessity, but I was very interested in it. And now I'm so thankful because I can have conversations with people like you and not be lost. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I wish we got all do it, but that's the crux of being an entrepreneur. If you don't have that time to go this last year because they did it virtually, a lot more people had the opportunity to do it. Normally it's down in Southern California and you got to travel there. And so most people don't have that luxury to spending a week technically with travel and everything to take the time to do that. And then even then going there, like you were able just to look at a menu on the screen. When you're there at those conventions, they're overwhelming. 5,000 people and you have imposter. Even me, after 16 years going to one of those, I always have this imposter complex, right? Like who's smarter than me here? Because there's something I don't know and you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, but that's where the rule of 26 in the book is really about not having to ingest that much stuff. For folks who are just not tech savvy, people are talking about the millennials and, oh, they were born with a phone in their hand. Yeah, but they don't understand how that phone works. And digital marketing is just as mysterious as a smartphone. Let's do this. Why don't you tell me some things that you would pitch me? My core business is an event and entertainment production company. If I came to you and Mm -hmm. said, hey, can you help me with my digital marketing? Mm -hmm. What are a couple of things that we would talk about first off? First, we get into the discovery, like where are you currently getting your leads right now? Is that through your website? Is that where the majority of? Yep. Right now it is word of mouth because we've been in business for 20 years. Okay. But during COVID, we saw a big uptick in Google searches for us. Oh, yes. So there's search engine optimization, right? So if you don't want to pay for Google AdWords, that means you have to earn the rankings, right? And being around for 20 years, if you've had a website for as long as I have, my first website was built in 1999. So mine's been around for 22 years. So we get a lot of free traffic because we rank really high on Google search. And 68% of all transactions for service-based businesses start on a search term on a search engine, Google owns us over 70% of all search traffic. Okay. So we would then look at your search engine optimization. If you're not saying buzz, I want the fast track. I've got a few thousand dollars a month. I want to invest it into Google ads. I want to be at the top tomorrow. Okay, great. That's, we would talk about that. If that wasn't an option, then we would look at your organic and your organic is your earned traffic. And we would talk about search engine optimization. And within search engine optimization, there are a bunch of moving parts. So we have to take a look at your website and say what's working and what's not. With the rule of 26, first we take a look at your unique traffic. Do you have over 500 unique users coming to your website every month? Yes, great. Okay, what is your conversion rate? How many people out of those 500 are contacting you every month? If that percentage is below your industry specific standard, we need to take a look at that. Okay. If it's good and you're still not getting enough conversions, then we need to go back and look at getting more than 500 and getting that up. And then we would work on that. So in search engine optimization has its own set. And so then the question is, do you want to do it yourself or do you want me to do it for you? 
And from there, I never pitch anybody. I just go, these are the tools that are available to you. We can do it for you. And if that works out for you and you're like, yes, that's exactly like you said, I don't want to be a marketer. Don't want to get into it. Just do it for me. Then we just do it for you. We show you the metrics that we're going to measure success with. If that's okay with you, then we work together. If that's not, it's not how we work. And I'll try to find, point you in the right direction of somebody who does work closer to what you would like to work with. If it's a do it yourself, then we have platforms. How would you differentiate your service specifically in SEO with, let's say, like an offshore digital marketing company? Uh, That's night and day. There's lots of reasons that offshores are cheap. One, the workforce, the value of their currency is much lower. They don't have the same digital ecosystem America has. So therefore, they don't have the same experiences that we have. So if you took the money out of it, because that's why most people will go Pakistan, Philippines, stuff like that, because it's like, it's just too cheap not to try. Right. And believe me, at one point, I even looked at using them as overflow for my agency, though. I always said, Hey, listen, we've got to keep Americans employed. I'm a buy America guy. So that's the way I am. And that's fine. But where's like, there's not enough talent. So what, where's our overflow? So we tried that for us. It didn't flow right because they didn't understand how Americans use the internet. And that is a huge differentiator just to the fact that we're an American company and we have American workers working on American companies. We don't work with any other countries. Does it matter that English may not be their first language? Does that play a part in the ability for them to do the best work possible? 100%. That bleeds into content marketing as well. When you have bloggers from the Philippines trying to write articles for your website, they don't understand the syntax of our language. So even if they're really good in English and they sound like they're fluent in it, that's fine. They're fluent in Filipino English, meaning that they use the slang of the Filipino culture in the Philippines. Google is working on syntax in that What are you trying to say? You don't even have to have the right words on your website. Google will say, what's the intent of the search and match it with the words that your website might have. Now that's some smart technology right there. Just scary. (laughs) So moving on, let's talk about the new book that you are going to be publishing. Yes. Rule of 26 is coming out June 1, 2021. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be an ebook and paperback. And to get pre-orders, we're setting the rule of two six.com. And that's also where we'll have some of our future ones where we'll this one is for service-based businesses. Are you the, doing a whole book funnel? Not a book funnel, but we're doing a book series. The book is really meant to help people understand what they're looking for in like really shortcut the process. Cause the first question I always ask, where do I start? Right? Well, let's start with you understanding where you want to go. If it's a website that you want to make to work for you 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, no sick days, no raises, no holidays. Okay, we're talking website marketing. Here is an easy way for you to create a set of objectives that you understand whether you do it or not. Done and done. Would you consider this book a success as a lead magnet? Or are you looking at really generating sales from the sale of the book? I'm using it as a way to share the information of how I do business. And from that, leads will come. 
I am not so much worried about the sale of the book because any of the money that I get from the sale of the book will just go into the next book or promoting that book to get it in front of more people. My goal, my mission is to help as many small to medium-sized service-based businesses in the United States as humanly as possible. My entire company is set up that way to help the solopreneur all the way up to the 11, $20 million mom and pop companies that I work with to continue to legacy, you know, build their legacy, hand it down to their kids, however that works. So startups to legacy businesses, everybody needs it. I can't do it all by myself. So a book is definitely there for that. Am I going to use it when I'm talking and hand it out? And hopefully people are going to reach out to me, of course, but it's not the sole reason I created the book. So for entrepreneurs that are considering writing a book, what tips can you give them and how are you publishing it? Okay. That is a great question. So this is my first book. So I've learned a lot. (laughs) But the first thing I did though, is I knew of three other entrepreneurs that were friends and colleagues, and I interviewed them. I says, what did you do first? What sucked? What didn't? What was hard? What was easy? All those things, right? Where do I start? What don't I do? Okay. That would be tip number one. Find people who've written a book. Nowadays, it's pretty easy to do. Second tip is don't write a book just to sell your services. If you're going to have to make something up just as a lead magnet, and there's plenty of services out there who will help you do just that. It took me a long time to write a book. It probably last 20 years. Everybody's like, when are you writing your book, Buzz? When are you going to write a book? What's your first book coming out, Buzz? I mean, it was a running joke for a decade, right? And then finally, I had something that I'm like, this I can share. This is something that can be consumed in a short amount of time. It's a short book. It's like 120 pages, right? Like concise. Like people don't have time to read the Russell Brunson 320 page book on selling through funnels, right? Nobody cares. So I wanted it short. I wanted it concise and I wanted it something that people could use like that, regardless of their situation. And that's what the rules 26 ended up being. So that would be tip number two. And number three, give yourself a deadline. Otherwise you'll never get it done. That is true. And how is your book being published? My book is being self-published through my media company and uh, we are publishing it through Amazon. So we are using the the KDP KDP. network Mm -hmm. and use Word documents is where I started and then use their stuff. How big is your business as far as employees? We have 12 on our team. That's a lot. A lot of minds crunching (laughs) SEO and we're adding more as we go. We actually, just a few years ago, before my reorganization, I had over 25 plus contractors. We had a 13,000 square foot facility. It was a beehive. Yes. I did a trip to Italy to do a feature length film to produce that. And when I got back, my culture had fallen apart in 11 days. I had a beautiful culture, but I had a couple bad eggs that just spread a little bit of cancer. And by the time I got back, it was, I could do no right. And there was nothing to save a third of my force from leaving. And I just looked at myself going, do I want to spend the next couple of years rebuilding what I built here? Or do we do it differently? And Einstein says the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and accept different results. And so I said, okay, then I got to do it different. That was the best decision I ever made. And what did you change? I went from a 13,000 square foot facility down to right now I have two co-working offices and my home office, which you're seeing behind me here, media room upstairs. That's it. My overhead is gone. Yeah. And now I pay my people a lot of that money that I saved and I don't have the headache. 
my infrastructure is so much smaller now. I don't have a building manager. I don't have all of the things that go along with that. Do we have other things that we have to pay for? Yeah. I mean, the communication is a little bit more intricate, but people are people, right? And so you now you're just looking for a different type of person, self-starters, people who can manage themselves, people who are accountable to themselves. Those people do really well with remote working. And so with that, we get a lot more done. Because when we sit there, we're not going, why did, didn't this get done? It was, how could we have done that even better? That was awesome. But what can we do better next time? Because I work through a concept called constructive dissatisfaction, which I wish I was the first to think of it, but I found out that the CEO of UPS back in the 90s actually came up with the concept. And it was really weird because it was the same words and I had never heard of it before, but I love it because it's constructive dissatisfaction, meaning that you can always do an awesome job, but that doesn't mean you can't do that awesome job even better. I like that very much. And I'm just thinking about my culture and our core values. And I think One of ours is excellence and we never strive for perfection because it's just too high of a bar to reach and it's really not a thing. But I do always look at, okay, we did this amazing event or whatever it is we're doing. What are the elements we could have done a little better? And I mean, I think that's why we've survived for 20 years. So enough about me, about you, your current. (laughs) Well, how many people, how many people do you have working with you? I had 12 prior Mm -hmm. to COVID. I have Uh six now. Okay. It's amazing. So (laughs) what is your number one challenge in your current business right now that you're trying to overcome? There are only 24 hours in a day. And I want to do about 48 hours worth of work every day. That is my biggest challenge is just trying to get, it took me three months into COVID to realize that COVID wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. And at that point, we had only done for you solutions for small to medium-sized businesses. With that, nobody was paying for done-for-you services in the middle of COVID. So I had to pivot quickly. And that was, so for the last nine months, I have developed nine of my own marketing tool platforms that people can utilize at a fraction of what a a done-for-you service would cost to do it themselves. And then rebuild my entire company back out to say, okay, Now we're a choose your own adventure company. So I would ask you about that. So I hear you completely. You wish you had more time. You definitely are passionate and excited about your business, which I adore. But it leads to this question is, and that is, do you need to delegate more? Do you need to release some of the things that you think you're the only person that can possibly do this? Or is it really a matter of, yes, you know how to delegate, but you really want to do these things? That is a very wise question. And I will tell you right now, I read a book by Michael McCallowitz and it was called Fix This Next. And it talks about that, right? And my goal is to take my beautiful wife to Machu Picchu by November for her 40th birthday. With that comes everything you just said, everything, right? And since November of last year, everything I do is looked at who can do it for me. If I have somebody who can do it for me, it gets delegated 100%. It's the speed at which I want to go versus the cash flow that I can delegate for, right? So to be honest with you, I don't build my own websites. I have my team build them, but we also have clients that need their websites just as fast, if not faster, right? It's more a matter of 
creating a balance of priorities that makes sure that the service that we're providing our current clients does not waver, period. At the same time, keeping things moving quickly for ourselves without depleting our reserves by bringing on a big team and then trying to do everything all at once, which I couldn't technically manage anyway, because there's only so much I can manage and my managers can manage in any given one day anyway. Yeah, it's a math problem. Right. So um, (laughs) on the flip side, this year, when you started out this year, was there a strategy that you really wanted to focus on to scale and grow your business for 2021? My double down on 2021 is the Choose Your Own Adventure digital marketing firm that this is it. Like everything I've done for the last five minutes is to get us to this point. And right now we are just weeks away from launching the new buzzworthy.biz website that is going to have, basically it is a need-based website. So instead of all the fluff of like, we're so awesome and we've been around a long time and all the other things that everybody else does, we're like, you probably have a need. Here's some common needs you can choose from right now. You're here for a reason, right? And if you don't, well, here's a book. This is our concept of how we manage stuff. So there's the rule of 26 in there. And then here are the three ways you can work with us. Do it yourself, do it with it, done with you, or done for you. Yes. And how do you see that scaling and growing your business in revenue and hopefully, more importantly, profit? So the do-it-yourself folks outnumber the people who are willing to pay for it to be done for you. With SaaS platforms, a software as a service, take up a lot less human bandwidth. Therefore, they're less expensive. Therefore, we can sell them for a lot less, right? So the scalability of a SaaS platform and the seven that we have in our ecosystem gives us infinite amount of growth that way. Because for every hundred clients to bring on board, I might need one more person and give the best customer service out there right? On the done for you side, we're actually putting caps. We're like, okay, we get to this many people on retainer. I stop taking new clients until we figure out what it looks like to take one more. And then when we say one more, that means five more. What's the next cap? What does that look like? And what do we have to have in place so that it runs just as smooth at this echelon as it will at the next echelon? And that measured growth, or we call right sizing is what I'm calling it, is what's keeping things free in my mind to be able to work in this space of the do-it-yourself platforms and ecosystem. I love that. Thank you for going into that kind of depth. I really want the listeners to glean new ideas or things that you know they have a blind spot for or things that they just haven't considered yet. So that was Excellent. The last question I have for you is, do you have currently an exit plan in mind or not? (laughs) Yeah, I have one exit plan currently, and that is to close it. Uh, (laughs) I have enough money in the bank and close it, right? Which is a horrible exit plan, right? It's not having an exit plan. So the answer is no, I don't have an exit plan right now. But I also have a platform that has two viable directions of acquisition. The SaaS platform can be gobbled up by another SaaS monster. And my done for you or our concierge services can be gobbled up by a larger firm. My problem is this, the SaaS, if it gets gobbled up by somebody bigger, 
the customer service is going to go. And I don't want that for my clients because I talk to half of the people who sign up for my software services. They talk to somebody in that you don't just click on something and go, okay, now, now I'm part of the family. No, you talk to one of the family to become part of the family. That's just the way that goes. Okay. And on the concierge side, if it goes to a bigger firm, they're not going to get as much for their money. And they're not going to get any TLC because bigger firms are not based on TLC. They're based on numbers, sheer numbers. So I'm reluctant. I've been approached like they, people like this, this concept. And they're like, how did you do it? I was like, well, that that's my secret. (laughs) So thank you for challenging me to be able to answer that better the next time somebody gives it to me. Yeah. So the follow-up to that for me, the question that just popped into my mind is, I understand that you don't want to sell because you don't want the quality to go down the drain. Fine. But are you keeping in accounting ways and with your CFO separate buckets so you can see the revenue and profit margins so that if somebody is interested in one side or the other, that they really can see the true picture? 100%. Almost to a detriment of my CPA. But luckily, we put the buckets in a way that he can do the taxes pretty easily and everything else is automated. So when they get put into the system by the camp coordinators and whoever's onboarding, they don't have to worry. They just click and everything else gets put in there. And that's for me too, though, because I have resources for every one of those platforms that I have to put out of my pocket to have there. So I need to understand if they're profitable for me as well. So if people are not liking it and it's costing them money, we probably need to figure something else out there. Buzz walked us through some digital marketing approaches, how he optimized his company by downsizing and introducing a new revenue stream this year to grow. For more information about Buzz, please visit the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.